to Bollywood is for Lovers, part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm Erin Fraser. And I'm Ed Bose. In this episode, we're taking a trip through outlaw country with three modern westerns. First up, Irfan Khan stars as athlete and army officer turned boggy in Tico Mancha Dulia's 2012 biopic, Pan Singh Tamar. Then Sushant Singh Rajput plays a Dakowit who must help a young girl reach a hospital while authorities and former gang members are chasing him in Abhishek Chobi's 2019 action drama Sancheria. Finally, Anil Kapoor plays an inspector in the desert investigating a series of gruesome killings when a mysterious antique dealer, played by Harshvardhan Kapoor, arrives in town in Raj Singh Chowdhury's thriller Thar, streaming now on Netflix. I think you explained that better than the movie actually explains it. <laughs> Okay. We'll, we'll get to that. Uh, before we begin, we'd like to respectfully acknowledge that we record this podcast on Treaty 6 territory, home to First Nations and Métis people. We and all, heads up. Yeah, we also need to give a bit of a disclaimer at the top of this episode. Two out of three have uh, sexual assault scenes in them. Yes. Or two at of, least implied. Two of these films deal with um, the topic of sexual assault. So yeah. uh, if that is not something that you want to listen to... Skip this one. <laughs> um, feel free to skip this episode and join us for the next one. Yeah, or, these movies uh, are not for you. Or return to it when that's a discussion um, that you are prepared for. Matt, we are talking about uh, Westerns. Easterns. <laughs> Eastern. Uh, the Western is one of my favorite film genres. Mm-hmm. Are you a fan? Yeah. They're pretty good. I enjoy them. Uh, these aren't like... Okay, so I guess like we should talk about... Jalebi Westerns. They're already called curry westerns. I but Jalebi know. looks like spaghetti. I, it makes more sense. I don't know why you're trying to come up with with your own cute name for Indian Westerns. They're already called You agree that it's cute? Um, maybe? <laughs> okay. Maybe. I mean, I'm not a big fan of spaghetti westerns to begin with. So... Um, the Western is largely... Not just the name, the actual product. You don't like them. No, no. Exactly. So the Western is largely an American film genre, mm-hmm. uh, typified by filmmakers like John Ford and Anthony Mann, and bastardized by filmmakers like Sergio Leone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't study Westerns in university. Only no. I did, yes. No, I did gangster movies. Yes. So when I studied the Western in university, it was very much... They didn't offer it in my year. Oh, well, I'm sorry. You said it was a great class. Yeah, I would have definitely done it. <laughs> uh, so when I studied Westerns in university, it was very much focused on the American Western. And this in idea the classic period, too? The, the, well, the classic period all the way up to uh, New Country for Old Men, hmm. which I think has some similarities with... Thar? With I think Thar is definitely trying to be like it. Um, and my professor, Bill Beard, had said that he really thought that the Western was a genre that had died out mm-hmm. in American cinema until No Country for Old Men came out. And that it kind of I mean, it died out for, it. what, 10 years? Yeah. Because, like, Unforgiven's 91. You got Young Guns, Young Guns 2. Those are fun. Um, There's... He really doesn't, didn't count Young Guns. Sure, but, like, there were some popular Westerns. Yeah. And I think... Stuff like Walker, Texas Ranger, and um, lots of TV-style stuff kind of keeps that going in the 90s. And then you kind of get 
prestige directors want to take a crack at it. So you get the, that's the Coens did, No Country for Old Men, right? Mm-hmm. James yeah. Mangold did his 310 Yuma remake. Yeah, that, I like that one. Right. Um, people often say that Logan is a <laughs> Western. I don't agree uh, with them. Yeah. But like it kind of becomes one of those genres that your sort of name directors all want a piece of. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, if you're a dad, like the main show is Yellowstone right. with yeah. Kevin Costner. Like that seems like a like a rich family type Western. But like, I, I don't think it went away. I think it just kind of morphed. I, I agree. In the West. But it is by no means as popular as it used to be. Yeah. The Western used to be kind of the American genre in the way that kind of superhero that's what they always say too like when people are like oh there's too many superhero movies they say well look at the 50s and how many westerns came out but what I think people forget in that equation is that in the 50s like 10 times of every kind of movie came out like Mm -hmm. there was a lot of westerns but there was also women's pictures and there was like a lot of things that American cinema just doesn't do at all so it may be that there's more westerns coming out in the 50s than there are superhero movies but there aren't really any other things. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like everyone knows what a Western is. It's like a, a cowboy movie mm-hmm. set during the, um, you know, like American frontier. Well, I mean, they had different eras. Yes. And also, I'll say, probably the best Western content I ever had the pleasure of playing through was Red, Red Dead Redemption yeah. 2 and Red Dead Redemption 1 and Red Dead Revolver, the first one. Like, those just nailed it. And the interesting thing about Red Dead Redemption 2 is it takes place in, like, 1910. Mm-hmm. So there's, like, cars and stuff when, you, you know, when you're not on the frontier. But it's at the exact point that, like, the frontier's closed and, like, it's the last run of all these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, like, different eras. Um, but it's largely about like the the myth making, the American myth, the myth making of this great nation. You know, it's another thing that kept westerns going. What? Deadwood. Yes. Yeah, yes. very popular show. Well, HBO popular, but like it, um, it's kind of like the Deep Space Nine of uh, <laughs> westerns. Okay, my point is, it's just that it's like it's. An I think Bill Beard is wrong, and he should uh, come on the show and defend himself. Uh, my point is just to, to set this up. This is going really great. Yeah, this is really going to be a tight like, 40. <laughs> really really ex- explaining my Western knowledge here. The point is just it's an American genre set during the frontier times um, about the taming of the West. And mm-hmm. so the themes are large. These are all in quotes. We understand that people were already living there. Yes. And horrible <laughs> things happened to them. We are aware. Yes. Yes. And so it's about kind of settlers coming in um, and making this land their home. Mm-hmm. Um, There's as, also Mary Kate and Ashley's How the West Was oh, Fun. Oh my god. <laughs> That's an underlooked classic in the Western genre. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> moving on. Uh, the Western genre was always influenced <laughs> by uh, non American um, yeah. narratives. And so, for example, um, a very early and classic Western stagecoach is based off of the book Poule de Suif. The, mm-hmm. the, the French novella. Uh, and probably most famously, a lot of Westerns are inspired by Akira Kurosawa. Yeah. Um, so, um, Seven Samurai became the Magnificent Seven, and all the Sergio... And Magnificent Seven became the Magnificent Seven. <laughs> and all the Sergio Leone films are very much inspired by 
Kurosawa. Yojimbo and uh, Sanjuro. Yes. But not only did... See, now you can see where I'm going. Yeah. Not only did Seven Samurai become Magnificent Seven, but Magnificent Seven became Shole. Yeah. Um, the Magnificent Two. The Magnificent Two. You can very much see that kind of ping pong um, across the With globe. a stopover in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can see that ping pong across the globe and kind of across these different film industries. Mm-hmm. And so the I'm putting quotes on it, like the Western genre within uh, Bollywood cinema is largely these kind of like dacoit. Dakwit? Dakwit? I'm not entirely sure. We're going to say Dakwit, I think, because it's kind of what we got used to saying, but we've heard people refer to them as Dakus, Dakoit, Dakoit. Like, it's a word we're unfamiliar with, and they generally don't call themselves this in no. the movie. They would prefer to be called rebels. Yes. Like uh, in Pan Singh Tomar, he would prefer to be called a rebel. So if we lapse and say Dakwit, it is far from the only Hindi word we butchered. <laughs> so you'll get used to it. Um, but you see this, you know, this genre of kind of rebel cinema that, you know. It has a very show. exact time frame, the emergency, which was like 77 till well, 79. The show, the show, show is not set during But it came out in the 70s right. and it was yes. modern day. Like all Hindi westerns that we've seen, apart from like Lal Captain, I would kind of call a western. That's yeah. in the 19th century. But most of them are in the late 70s to early 80s. Mm-hmm. And all three of these are. Yes, all three of these are. Uh, and these, these, these 70s films have been dubbed curry westerns. Jalabi westerns. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm not uh, a huge fan of that title because I, I think it's... Well, I mean, in the same it's way It's reductive. That, well, in the same way that Bollywood is, is kind of derivative of Hollywood, I mm-hmm. think, you know, this, this implies that these films are derivative of an American genre, mm-hmm. which I think you can see cross-cultural influences, you know, in the, in the way that kind of Kurosawa was then used in, in American films and then the elements you see in Bollywood. But there are, like, I, I do not think that they are derivative. Well, like, films. Kurosawa, a lot of his stories come from Shakespeare, and they're not called, like, you know, sushi Shakespeare's, yeah. right? It's just a sort of common, interesting story that people like to tell. Yeah. Like, shooting guns in a sort of chaotic place where the law is not as strong as it is in the cities like it's, it's it's a it's a good cousin to my favorite genre of guys going nuts in the jungle <laughs> and it's also all of these cultures kind of using um the heroes of their past or even present day yeah. to kind of tell stories about um the nation tell stories about the identity of the country yeah the indian ones are not really like frontierism it's more like Um, Like the Hatfields and McCoys or something. It's these places where ancestral rivalries have been around forever. They're kind of deserts. Like two of them are in the, along the Shambhal River. Mm -hmm. And um, the Badlands. Yeah, Tar is in Rajasthan, so kind of next door on the border of Pakistan. Like they're all sort of the wastelands. Mm -hmm. And it's more like ancient family rivalries and the lawlessness of the the emergency times. Mm -hmm. That's the specific period in which this stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Even Shole, like, uh, you know, it, uh, it's not explicitly during the emergency, but it is about, you know, uh, Gabar doing stuff and attacking a small town, and these guys have to mm-hmm. step up and protect it. So it's basically in the same mm-hmm. genre, mm-hmm. same time frame. Now, I imagine people are thinking, why aren't we discussing the 70s films? 
Um, We've I'm, talked about a lot of we, them. We have talked about some of them. We've obviously talked about Jolie before. And, and, um, what was it? Gnostic, I think, kind of had some cowboy elements. Remember that one? Yeah. We, yeah, like, Bachan did a few of these. Yeah, and I think uh, there's definitely an episode that we could potentially do in the future talking about the 70s ones. But we wanted to talk about these contemporary takes on the, uh, on the Western, on, on, on an idea of the Western genre. Mm-hmm. So in Hollywood, as, you know, as, as films went on, the Western became darker and darker and darker until you get to like, like you get like to Sam Peckinpah. And Unforgiven. Yeah. And then you get all the way to uh, Eastwood's Unforgiven, which is incredibly bleak. It's pretty miserable. And I would say that these days, the Western is very much used to tell darker stories. Or revisionist sort of fun stories, like the the new Magnificent Seven kind of fun, and that one I didn't watch yet that has Idris Elba in it, The Harder They Fall. Oh, right. Like, it's kind of like, again... Because it was Antoine Fuqua, I think, that did The New Magnificent Seven. So it's kind of like integrating... Black heroism mm-hmm. into these classic stories. Django Unchained. Django, yeah, Django yeah. is great. Uh, so it's and Hateful Eight too, yeah. with uh, Samuel L. Jackson. So it's kind of a mix of almost, and definitely in Tarantino's case, like a black exploitation. Yeah. Uh, and that too. So it's kind of, it's not its own genre anymore. It's just kind of an element that you can throw in with something yeah. else and see what happens. But they certainly like there's. Even though I think some of those examples you've given are fun, and I haven't seen Yellowstone, there's certainly, like, a darkness. And to go to, like, back to No Country for Old Men as maybe kind of, um, as typifying an idea It's realistic, of it's a trying to be. Yeah. Western, like, incredibly bleak. Although, Buster Scruggs, you haven't watched it. You should probably should. Okay. It's, it alternates between super bleak and also, like, kind of fun. Mm-hmm. So, it's between, you know, Unforgiven on one end and How the West Was Fun on the other end yeah. in the Western spectrum yeah. of Mary-Kate and Ashley to Clint Eastwood. <laughs> anyway, I think we can kind of see um, a similar thing here. It's a, it, it, the genre, like, just kind of grew up. Yeah. And I think we can see a similar thing here with these three films that we're going to discuss. Oh, definitely. That we are calling, that get progressively darker. Um, that yeah. I don't think we see as revisionist westerns the way you were talking about them. No. But could potentially be called neo-westerns. Yeah. I would yeah. say neo-westerns is probably... Because it's not deconstructing anything. Yeah. It's kind of... Looking at that idea of banditry in this period mm-hmm. and just coming at it from a few different angles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As an aside, there's also like an interesting vein of like dark westerns in Australian cinema, but we mm-hmm. won't get into that. It's interesting how just the idea of the West yeah. <laughs> far transcended the idea of the, the West in the cardinal sense. Because yeah. like Australia could have westerns. <laughs> Wake and Fright, I would say, is a western. Mm-hmm. And that was from the 70s. But like, Wake and Fright kind of reminded me of Thar at times. Or Thar. Nowhere reminded, near as good, though. Thar reminded me of Wake and Fright. Thar reminded me of a lot of things, but it, they weren't that good. I think we're probably going to have to do a spoiler zone in order to talk about it. Sure. But, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting how the idea of the West can be transposed as purely far east as you want, and it still works. But the themes become very different, which mm-hmm. I think we're going to discuss, because, you know, these films and, and the, other, the other films that you could classify as Indian Westerns, um, and I'm, I'm putting a lot of air quotes on this. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't have that same idea of taming, 
taming the West, taming no. the land. If anything, um, it's rebelling against a government that is it's rebelling against overreaching. Colonialism. Well, colonialism as well as uh, like Indira Gandhi, basically. Yeah. So um, I hope people enjoyed that attempt at me explaining genre and Matt's many interjections. That Very took, funny interjections. Took me off course. Yeah, really good ones. Uh, I, I thought. Think we're ready. I think we're ready to get into it and talk about the first film. Sure. So our first film is Pan Singh Tomar. Came out in 2012. And I, you know, I have to stop myself right here already. Two of these films we're going to discuss. Um, the lead actors have passed away. Yeah, um, unfortunately. And still pretty recently. Yeah. Um, and they passed away very close together. Yeah, Pan Singh Tomar is 10 years old, but uh, obviously Irfan Khan, what, two, three years ago? It was, yeah. It was during the pandemic. It was the start of the pandemic. Yeah. 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 And Sushant Singh Rajput a couple months later. Yeah, and so I just I, <laughs> uh, watching these films so close together, and I'm I'm still I'm still really sad about both of them. I'm not gonna yeah. lie, you know, like and and I think watching both of these films, it really just reminded me. Of, I mean, this is not the first time we've talked about films of either of them since they passed away, but mm-hmm. you know, it's just. Although I think we're coming up on all of Sushin Singh Rajput's movies. There may be two or three we haven't talked about. Yeah. I'm just I'm just saying I'm still not over it. I don't yeah. think you are either. No, it's sad. Yeah. There's still a lot of more they could have done. Yeah. Uh, so Pan Singh Tamar came out in 2012, directed by Tigmanshu Dulia, stars Irfan Khan, Mahi Gill, Vipin Sharma, and Nawazuddin Siddiqui. It's based on the life of Pan Singh Tamar. He was a seven-time national steeplechase champion and an army officer turned dacoit. dacoit. Uh, the film was critically acclaimed, received a decent box office, and it won two Filmfare Awards, Best Actor Critics and Best Screenplay. It was also nominated for Best Actor. And two National Films Award, Film Awards, Best Feature Film and Best Actor. Would you like to set up the film for us, Matt? Sure. This is definitely like the most lighthearted <laughs> of these. Yeah. Even though all of these end in tragedy, basically. Yeah. All the main characters die. I don't know if that's a huge spoiler, but it kind of comes with the territory of these bandit movies, right? It does, and, um, yeah, it does. You shouldn't be surprised. No. I don't think it's a huge spoiler. No. I but. It's, it's pretty well set up. I think you know what you're getting into when you sit down and watch these. Yeah. It's everyone's last stand. Yeah. They always do that. Yeah. Uh, but this, it's kind of weird, like... For the first half of this movie, I was kind of getting like a Forrest Gump vibe. <laughs> so right, you had said, but isn't isn't Bollywood Forrest Gump still on? Yeah, today? and we're going to be watching that in a few months. Are we? Do I have to? We have to. Oh my god! For science, for our advertisers. I I really hope people are excited to hear that. Continue. Yeah, that's going to be a rant. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, I want to know what war he fights we'll in. We'll save it. But, uh, okay, so Pan Singh Tamar starts with uh, an older Irfan Khan in, I believe, 1980, being interviewed by a newspaper guy. And he's like a reclusive... Um, a newspaper guy. A reporter. A reporter. <laughs> a newspaper man. Uh, he's being interviewed by this newspaper reporter who is... Uh, he had to kind of, like, 
sneak his way into this compound, yeah. basically, because Irfan is very, or Ponsi Tumar, is very reclusive. And He's the, a wanted man. Yeah, the cops are on the lookout for him, and he can't let anyone know where he is. But he also kind of wants to tell his story, even though in practice he's a very weird guy. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't like sharing food, and it's just... He has a food taster because he's under threat of being poisoned all the time. He loves ice cream. Yeah. Uh, and he doesn't. Yeah, I got that in common with him. Um, but he tells his story and he started out, he joined the army at a young age to get away from his village, which was in the Chambal area. Mm-hmm. And the Chambal at the time, I guess, is very like factional and lots of uh, arguments between castes and just generally kind of a powder keg. But he escapes and joins the army. Uh, and basically because he's hungry and he notices that athletes get more food, and he's also like great at running and jumping, he kind of like walks backwards into becoming a national champion of steeplechase. Yeah, he loved this. The only reason he joined the sports division is because he wanted more food. Yeah, and they're, they're like, really... are those bananas? Who are those bananas for? And they're like, well, if you become an athlete, you can have as many bananas as you want. And like, he's like, okay. I, I can't relate to that at all. Yeah, I would love to eat some bananas. Bananas are disgusting. Yeah. Well, I mean, he ate a lot of other stuff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he kind of... He seems like a really, like, simple guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seems to like the army well enough. Uh, yeah, he's upset that he does, never gets to go, like, to the front. Yeah, I think that was the Indo-Sino War. Yes, which so is the same, I, ones in, well, the same ones in Tublai, right? Which is what I suspect will be the war in the Forest Camp remake, but yeah. we'll see. Yeah, he, like, as an athlete, they kind of want to keep him around for national pride, so they don't actually let him go to that. And this is kind of a sticking point for him for the rest of his life. And he eventually, um, I think it's a Pan-Asian Games. He goes to the Olympics in Tokyo, or, no, it's not the Olympics, but it's like a big Pan-Asian athletics thing. But he finds another one uh, later on. He says, like, this is my war. I'm definitely going to win this. He's a little over the hill at this point. And he, he wins it, but it... It was like the international military sports yeah. or something. That's the one, yeah. Because he wants to kind of show that even in the army sense, like he could still kind of swing. Yeah. And he's a little old at this point. Yeah, he, he doesn't do as well in Tokyo. Yeah, he still wins. Also, he doesn't like Japanese food. I don't know what's wrong with him. Imagine the culture shock, though. Like, he <laughs> lives in a tiny village, and he'd be eating, like, dal and stuff. And then, I mean, they have rice in common, but it's going to be very different for him. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he uh, he retires from the army after like 15 years, and he goes back to his home village uh, and wants to be a farmer. But his and uncle until this point not very western. Not no, not really western. No, like, more of a you're like Aaron. Why have you selected this movie? I thought we're watching westerns. Yeah, so what's going on? But uh, he has a conflict with his uncle. It seems like everyone's kind of related in this place too. Like it's all. Very, I hesitate to say inbred, but in the sense of just like all these families and everyone knows each other and they all have beef with each other. And he gets in a fight with his uncle and eventually has to go on the run with some of his family members and he starts a gang, basically. And his thing is that he's using like precise military timing, tries to keep everyone in shape, and he does pretty well. And this is where it becomes a rest. Yeah. Western. Lots of shootouts. Yeah, lots of shootouts. Uh, a what you would probably call a war crime if uh, he was in a, a national army, but he like kills a bunch of people in a village. Yeah. It seems like they're mostly getting their money from kidnapping people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like a guy on his wedding night, he'll find a guy that. Could, yeah. and, 
you know, ransom him to his father, that kind of thing. And yeah, it kind of ends up in a big last stand with the cops, and Wazdeen Siddiqui uh, kind of sells him out. Yeah. I really liked this. Um, I kind of thought the first half was a bit slow, and it might be partly because... Oddly because he's good at running. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it might be partly because you and I have seen a number of Bollywood sports films Mm -hmm. that, and and this by no means uh, really tries to reinvent the wheel in terms of sports biopic. Mm -hmm. The Japan stuff is a little interesting, but... The the Japan stuff is, especially because there's like a woman in Japan who like... Is obsessed with him. Is obsessed with him. And Maki Gill, his wife back home, is like really upset by this. Yeah. <laughs> I also... Um, they have a weird relationship. Pawn in uh, in Japanese, like P-A-N, is bread. Yeah, bread so, sing to Yeah. I, I, when he went to Japan, I, I really wanted someone to make that joke, but no one did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways. Because um, I was thinking of bread. <laughs> Mr. Bread. <laughs> Anyway, so, like, that that's, like, kind of... But also that whole section kind of really sticks out as being kind of odd. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it, it really comes together in the second half when it becomes a lot more about him, about the banjo tree and him starting this gang um, and just kind of, you know, like, the how they see themselves as rebels, but, you know, they're considered... It's definitely a cast allies. thing, too. Yeah, I think that's where it got a lot more interesting and more western from what I understand um, Tig Manjudulia became interested in Pansang Tomar when he was working on Bandit Queen mm. uh, and so did a, a fair amount of research into his life and talking to his uh, living relatives in order to kind of bring this to life and I, I do think that research shows mm-hmm. even if I found the, the kind of sports and army stuff a bit more paint by numbers I think overall, this feels like a really like fleshed out and detailed portrait of a fascinating figure. It did. It, I, I guess I should have mentioned at the end that the movie is dedicated to Indian sports heroes who are sort of abandoned by the government yeah. and either became rebels or died in yeah. like poverty. And it, I, I guess if I'd known who he was and what happened to him, I would that would have meant more. But like. It, it's kind of weird to shove that in at the end. Well, but I do think it echoes some of the themes within the film where, um, you know, Pan Singh Tomar, you know, it's like, you wanted to support me mm-hmm. when... You fed him so many bananas. Yeah, like, I, I won seven championships for you. Um, I, I was supported. You wanted to support me when you, I was in the army. You wanted to keep me there. But now that I am struggling to you know, keep my home and keep my family safe, you're going to turn me into the enemy. Yeah. And I think that way that, um, that heroes, um, are discarded. Yeah. Um, that comes up in all Indian sports movies, basically. Like, but I think it's, it's well articulated here. Yeah. It just, it took a while to get to that point. And, like, it wasn't really foreshadowed even. I guess there is the story that he's abandoned at the beginning. But, like, yeah. you're kind of wondering where the sports stuff is going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought it was... I, I kind of like this movie. I felt like Irfan was sort of sleepwalking a lot. But I think maybe oh, that's the maybe that's what the guy was like. Because he seems sort of distracted all the time. And really... I think he does a 
really good job of playing him across different ages. Yeah, yeah. He changes his voice, definitely. Yeah. He finds a way to sound like he's 20 and he sounds like he's 50. So that was good. And I think, like, like he's really doing the steeplechase there. Yeah, and I wouldn't say that he's the most athletic person, so no. he put the work in, you could tell. Yeah. But, like, I don't know, it felt, like, kind of weightless to me at times, and not in, like, a transcendent way. I felt like it was bifurcated, for sure. Mm-hmm. The sports stuff, it's kind of getting bored, and I've seen that movie so many times. I guess in 2012 I wouldn't have had this problem. But we've seen it. But you're watching it in 2020. Yeah, we've so. seen that stuff so often yeah. that it kind of melts together with the other stuff. And I think it was really useful because I love the next movie, Sancheria. Mm-hmm. It kind of explains how a gang like that one would come about and, like, why do they all have the same uniforms? Or how do they get into these sort of vendettas against the cops? Like, how does that happen? You see all that develop over the course of this movie. So, yeah. I mean, I didn't like it as much as you, but I thought it was pretty good. I think actually, like, it works well. I mean, we're presenting these film and films in chronological order, but I think actually they all kind of build on one another in an interesting yeah. way. They make they make sense in this distribution. And I don't want to know what, what the film is that's going to build on there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so on that note, we should go to Interval. Yeah. Uh, so our Interval song today is uh, Boggy. Boggy Ray from Sancheria. This episode is brought to you by Taproot Spotlight, a service that helps businesses and organizations pay attention to the people they serve. Taproot tells you the news about the people and companies that are important to you. Use that information internally to keep everyone on the same page. Or share it with the world in your newsletter, on your website, and on your social media channels. Paying attention pays dividends. Find out more at taprootpublishing.ca slash spotlight. That's taprootpublishing.ca slash spotlight. With PodPower, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a PodPower shout-out to High Level Hip Hop. CJSR presents High Level Hip Hop. It's a deep dive into Edmonton's hip hop scene and the artists helping shape it. The show takes a unique approach to introducing listeners to the OGs and Youngbloods of Edmonton's hip hop scene. The show is aimed at those who love local music but might not have had a chance to fall in love with the city's surprisingly diverse hip-hop scene. Each episode features an interview with a local artist, plus a fresh track they recorded at CJSR. Check out episodes with Arlo Maverick, Please Be Nice, and more throughout the season. High Level Hip Hop is produced by CJSR, Edmonton's campus and community radio station. Download it wherever you find podcasts and at highlevelhiphop.transistor.fm. So that was Boggy Ray from Sancheria, one of my favorite Hindi films ever. Yes. <laughs> this movie is amazing. Yes. Are we doing this because, uh, well, we talked about Sancheria when we did one of our um, year-end or mid-year wrap-up episodes. I can't remember. It must have been in mid-year because I think it came out about February. It was cold as hell when cold. we went to go see it. Um and it's a movie that no one talks about. And yeah. I mentioned it on Twitter. Uh, we're talking about, like, well, why didn't do this, this do so well? And one of the hosts of Jabwee Pod, uh, Rim Jim Gerson, she said that um, it's not massy, and that's why it didn't do well. And I guess, like, 
I could see this kind of falling into more of like a Singham or a Salman Khan movie, like if you had an over the top hero in this sort of time. Like yeah. if it was like about a like a sheriff or something or like a cop, like that would have been the more massy version of this. But the fact that you're with this kind of nondescript gang of like thirty guys. Yeah. And it's getting whittled down. Yeah, they get whittled down. I was gonna say slowly, but it's actually kinda of quickly. Yeah. Like you don't really get a chance to know most of them. And then you're down to about kind of the main three or four for most of the movie. And Fulan Devi shows up, basically. Um it's kind of, it's depressing, yeah. and it also seems kind of realistic, mm-hmm. and that's not a mass film, like. Yeah, I mean that's fair, but I do. I mean, I. And it's still great. <laughs> I can't help but think that, like, if this had been released into art houses, um, yeah, really well, I think this is. You could have really done well in the West. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a really engaging film. Uh, it's. It's dark and down deep, but I think also somewhat hopeful, which we'll get to. I got kind of a Peter Weir vibe off of some of it. Going okay. back to Australia, like it reminded me of Walkabout. All the stuff with Nicholas Rogue. Sorry, yeah. like it's kind of. Did it remind you of Picnic and Hanging Rock, though? Uh, some of the stuff with the girl, like it kind of has that sort of hallucinogenic, mm-hmm. people going nuts in the outback sort of vibe to it. Mm-hmm. So I can see that, and it's such a desolate place. Yeah. The, the Chambal ravines. Yeah. But I, it's also, this film is also full of action and really yeah. incredibly well shot action. Yeah. Like, this is also an incredible. Do you like gunfights? Because there's film. so many gunfights. Oh my God, there's so many gunfights. Yeah. You know, like, it's just like, so on one hand, yeah, I can see saying it's kind of a really contemplative, slow, downbeat film. But on the other hand, I'm like, it's full of gunfights. Yeah. Like, it's basically the Hindi version of the, um, the Wild Bunch. Yeah. Um, so, we watched it on Z5, which is a streaming service we historically have a lot of problems with. However... It worked fine. It worked beautifully. The picture quality was gorgeous. Well, the movie looked fantastic. We do have a new TV, though. Yeah. So it could do 4K. So I don't um, know if how much of that's the TV or how much of that's Z5. But the subtitles totally worked and synced up nicely. So we are hopeful about our future relationship with Z5. What was the next movie we tried to watch on it, though? The next movie we tried to watch on it was Triple R in Telugu, and while the picture quality looked fantastic, the subtitles were off slightly. I, yeah, it's that timing thing. I, on Twitter, it seems like not everyone has had this issue, so I'm not sure what we need to do to fix it for Triple R, but we then had to resort to showing our friends Triple R on Netflix, and the picture quality is not as good. Yeah, it looks like a potato. Anyways. So that's an aside, but, um, you know, we'll update you on our Z5 adventures, because yeah. in the past, we've had a lot of issues, and it, it seems like every time we use the service now, with the exception of Triple R, it's been better than the last time we've used the service. Yeah, I should say all the names, and then you could say the story. Right. Now, Sancharia came out in 2019, directed by Abhishek Chobi, who... So this was a follow-up to Uta Puja. Like, another movie that I think, if you, if you worked in a certain way, also has sort of Western elements, because sure. it's... I think he's kind of interested in the the law and order on the frontier. Well, yeah, and obviously, like, like Ishkia and Dead Ishkia have that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, this is kind of something that he's into. Yeah. But, like, I would think, of, like, that people would be interested in... Yeah. How did Urta Punjab do so well? Like, I think Urta Punjab is probably more depressing, but it's got tunes. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, this stars Susan Singh, Rajput, Bhumi Pennekar, Ashutosh Rana, 
Manoj Bajpayee in a wonderful role, and Ranveer Shori in one of the most Ranveer Shori performances <laughs> I've ever seen. He's great. Uh, this had overall positive reviews from critics, including us. Yeah. We loved it when it came out. Oh, we're critics now? Yeah. Okay. We braved, like, minus 35. <laughs> Talk about Western. Like, we live in the Wild West, basically. And you, you get Wild West temperatures. You get Wild West weather out here. Yeah. So we actually braved the frontier to go up to the north side and watch this movie. It was well, so cold. I mean, if, if anyone's curious, like... We took a bus. No, I was just going to say, if you watch... If anyone's curious, if you watch any Kevin Costner... Western, or if you watch Brokeback Mountain, like those are all shot in Alberta. We yeah. live in the place where you shoot Hollywood westerns. Yeah. So yeah, we the assassination of Jesse James. That's all yeah. southern Alberta mostly, but yeah, like we li- like our backdrop is sort of a western. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, this was nominated for eleven Filmfare Awards. It's yeah. huge, and it won two: best film for critics and best costume design, which. Yeah, best from critics for sure. Best costume design. I guess each guy kind of has his own sort of spin on the on the boggy uniform. Yeah, and they're all like suitably like wrapped up and dirty. Yeah, it seems again very realistic. Yeah. Uh, so the plot. This is this is kind of a complicated and layered film, and I don't think too many people have seen it, yeah. so I don't want to give too much away. Um, but Sinsan Singh Rajput is a bandit and he is a part of Manoj Bajpayee's gang. The Man Singh gang. When the film opens, um, there is clearly something that is haunting both Manoj Bajpayee and Sinsan Singh Rajput. Yeah. You see visions of this little girl um, who looks sad and kind of disheveled. Ghostly, kind of yes. haunted. Yes. Uh, when the film opens, they are on their way. They, they've received a tip, and they're on their way to steal the dowry of a woman who is getting married nearby. I should say this is in the 70s during the emergency yes, as well. Yes, this is in the 70s during the emergency, and we hear Indira Gandhi, like an Indira Gandhi announcement early on in the film. They're very... They're very clearly setting it during this era. Yeah. Um, you know, for a reason. It's all part of... It's part of the backdrop, but I think it also plays into the to the themes of the film. It has political commentary. Yeah. Uh, so, unfortunately, they've been set up, and they end, this all ends in a shootout with the cops, where Manoj Bajpayee is killed. That is really not a huge spoiler. It happens very early on. The first 20 minutes, and it also feels like he's looking at the girl, yeah. and maybe he's giving up. Yes. Uh, after this, the gang kind of splits into two factions, one led by Ranbir Shori, who just kind of wants to carry on with, um, with the mission, with the way that, um, that Manoj Bajpayee wanted to live his life and wants to kind of, you know, continue banditry, mm-hmm. I guess. He's also and, really, uh, advancing the Thakur cause. Mm-hmm. He's very, like, cast focused. Yeah. And the other... Kind of a smaller faction led by Simchenching Rajput, who essentially wants to go turn himself in. Turn himself in. Do he's he, they've kind of been told if they turn themselves in, they can do time, and they'll be out in like ten or fifteen years, and they can potentially regain their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, while this kind of conflict between these two factions is playing out, they come across Bumi Pendakar, and she is on the run with a young girl who has been sexually assaulted. And she she's hurt. She's injured. Very badly. She's in very bad shape, and she needs to get to a doctor. 
And kind of begrudgingly at first, the bandits agree to help her. And she says she's a thocker, and so is the kid. And they yes. kind of feel like, well, we should they look out for her. They just have to help out their own. Yeah. Um, more is, is revealed as the film goes on about her and the girl that she's with. Who she's running away from. Who she's running away from, what has happened. Um, but over the course of the film, Sushant Singh Rajput's mission becomes to get this girl the medical assistance that she needs. Meanwhile, they're running, they're all running away from authorities mm-hmm. uh, who hold a grudge against them. Uh, and, and, and want to see them dead. Like, it's not even that they want to bring them in, they want to kill them. Oh, there's a personal grudge with yeah. the main cop in, in the land. Yeah. Um, so I think that's... I and they run into Fool and Debbie, like a Fool and Debbie alike. Yeah. As the film goes on, it becomes clear that this little girl, helping this young girl, um, is is Sushant Singh Rajput's redemption. We, we eventually find out kind of what happened that haunts... Um, Manoj Bajpayee and continues, or haunted Manoj Bajpayee and continue to haunt Sushant Singh Rajput. Um, and and he, he starts to see this girl as his redemption. Now, none of this is like overtly spelled out. It's, it, it becomes inferred. Well, and they, as, they, it's the, actually, I think, very subtly woven in. Apart from at the beginning of the movie, him, uh, Sushant Singh Rajput and Manoj Bajpayee have some not arguments, but sort of discussions about what is the rebel's dharma? Mm-hmm. What are we doing? And... And those kind of continue throughout the film. Yeah, and Manoj Bajpayee is kind of like, you know, we rebel. We're rebels. That's what we do. We live by our own rules. We, you know, take what we want. We help out our own kind. We we, we live on the run. Yeah. And over the course of the movie, Sushant Singh Rajput's thinking like, I don't think I, this, I, I want to do this anymore, and helping this kid is my last chance. Yeah. Yeah. That's my dharma. And this film is, I mean, it's a very masculine film, mm-hmm. but it's also a very feminine film, you know, because at the center of it, you know, like, Sanjaria is the name of this, this girl. Mm-hmm. Songbird. Goldenbird. Goldenbird, yeah. Um, and and so, but sexual assault mm-hmm. is, is, is one of the central topics of the film. Yeah. And when they when they do, you know, you hear a lot about this Hula and Debbie character before you meet her, this this woman who has a gang. And then when you meet her, like the conversations that she has with Boone and Pendekar, um, you know, like have a very strong well, feminist angle. Yeah, because it's like, <laughs> hey, you should join my gang. And she's like, I thought you were just, uh, what, Mala's in your gang. I can't join your gang. I'm a thocker. And she's like, the casting only really matters to the men. They all hate each other because of this. We're, women are, we're the worst cast of all. Yeah. Like, they, everyone hates us. They just shit on us all the time. You should join my gang. Yeah. And she's got a point. Like, <laughs> anytime cast has ever come up in a movie, it's always worse to be a woman. Yeah. You're always going to get it all the time. This film is, like, it's excellent. It's, the script is incredible, I think. Um, the things that are it, it, it knows when to reveal what mm-hmm. the cinematography is dropped out gorgeous I think the Shambhala area is just very cinematic yeah and it's it, it, it's funny because watching it we're like oh this could have been shot in Alberta because like down to Drumheller we yeah have, the Badlands we have a very large Badlands you may have noticed that in the film uh, Koi Melgaya where Jadu lives that's that's our Badlands yeah um but it just like and, and it has some it has some really kind of 
exceptional moments with camera movement mm-hmm. um, or just kind of the way that um, Chobe kind of zooms in or or the way he he tracks things like it's just it's so elegantly done lots of one takers so it's so well acted yeah like i think i just cool drone shots too that establish where everyone is during a gunfight which most directors never think to do this but like you all you get a total sense of this whole situation so many gunfights and they're all very clear yeah. Um, or if they're chaotic, it's because they're kind of supposed to be. You yeah. know, like it's just it's all really thought out. Um, and again, like these these performances. I mean, I think it goes without saying these are all excellent actors. But mm-hmm. like this, I, this might be my favorite performance from Sushant Singh Rajput. I've seen even all the this. even the kid is great, and she does she has like six lines basically. Yeah. yeah. I've seen all of Sushant Singh Rajput's films except for the first one, except right? Except one. Yeah. Um, and this, this I think is just like he's he's incredible here. Yeah. Like, and he has such. I mean, he's he's rough and he's harsh at times, but he's also deeply sensitive at times. Yeah. And he's got like he's got despite everything that he's dealing with and happening around him, he has a sense of levity at times. Like it's just he's really doing like a magic trick to try and keep the kid happy and yeah. Yeah. You can a, see him performing it like practicing too. And he's thinking like there's intent there. Like maybe I'll use yeah. this to distract somebody or that kid looks sad. Maybe I'll show her my, my magic trick. But like the fact that they drilled that down into the character that far to see like mm-hmm. well what would he want to do? Like what does he do in his spare time? What does he what would he think is fun? Yeah. Like, that just shows the amount of work they did. It's a really nuanced and layered performance, and I think deserves more attention. Uh, Rambier Shore is also fantastic. Yeah, great he's, beard. He's such an asshole. He's so mad all the time. So mad. Yeah. Uh, and the guy who plays the cop, uh, Gujar, that's the cop's name. Yeah, that was... Uh, you think at the beginning he's kind of... Ashutosh Rana. Yeah. At the beginning, he's just like, okay, this is a stereotypical cop. But once you understand all the relationships between these people and why he's so mad, you totally get it. And you're wondering why he isn't even more mad. Mm-hmm. And the woman who plays the Fulan Devi character, I love the fact that these people are kind of in the middle of transitioning into legend. Because it's, it's a known thing that this one arms dealer guy screwed her over. And that's the sort of lever that Sushant Singh Rajput uses to mm-hmm. get into her. But it's like, that's just a legend in the ravines. Like, she hates this guy for this reason. And he uses that. And, like, he's becoming a legend himself, too, I think. And that's the Western right there. Mm-hmm. People in the middle of becoming legends. Or playing the against legend. their own... Yeah, you, you have print the legend. But they're kind of... They're rebelling against their own history, or they're caught up in the tides of history, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, this movie rules. It's excellent. It is, yeah, by far one of my favorite Hindi cinema experiences of all time. Five stars even on second watch in our house. Like, it was great in the theater. It's even better at home. Um, I have nothing bad to say about it. It's perfect in every way. I love it. Yeah, I, I encourage you to watch it if, um, if you haven't seen it, or... Rewatch it. It's still great. It may sound like a mega bummer, but it kind of ends on a note that I think is hopeful. Yeah. I think it ends on a really hopeful note. Yeah. And if you're, again, like we were saying earlier, if you watch these bandit movies, you kind of need to know what you're getting into. Yeah. Far. (laughs) 
the reason that we're doing uh, this episode. I had read a lot about Thar being a Western, being a noir Western, a neo-Western, and that really piqued my interest. It's streaming on Netflix right now. So it's directed by Raj Singh Chaudhary, and it stars Anil Kapoor, Harsh Pradhan Kapoor, Fatima Sana Sheikh, and Jatendra Joshi. Uh, from what I can tell, it's received mixed reviews. I, I get it. I haven't seen too many people discussing this film. Uh, do you want to set it up for us, Matt? This movie takes place in Rajasthan in, I believe, 1980. So, in the Thar Desert. Yeah, so... As far as my limited knowledge of Indian geography goes, because they mentioned Rajasthan a few times in both the other movies, as something you could escape to from Andhra Pradesh or um, like from the Chambal area. Yeah. And it's a desert on the border with Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And Anil Kapoor is there, and he's a cop who's six months away from retirement. He never really amounts to anything because not a lot goes on there. And Harsh Kapoor shows up. And he's, he's an antique stealer. He says he's an antique stealer, and I kind of got like uh, Renvier and Lutera vibes of like, okay, I mean, it's kind of charismatic strangers coming to town. He says he deals in antiques. What's going on? They keep saying he looks like a movie star, which it's true, he does. He's a movie star. And the story kind of goes off on two parallel tracks, I think, because Anil Kapoor is investigating a guy who was murdered uh, on a tree and has ear cut off. And meanwhile, uh, Harsh Kapoor, under the guise of hiring people to uh, find antiques for him, is just kidnapping men and taking them to a fort in the in the desert and torturing them. Yeah, the violence at times in this brought me back to like the hardest moments in Unforgiven. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not like hostile. No, but it's it's unpleasant. It's a lot more violent than your typical Hindi cinema. Okay, so the thing about this movie, uh, he also shacks up with one of these guys' wife. Fatima. There's also Pakistani drug runners out in the hills, too, and Anil Kapoor's got to deal with them. Mm -hmm. So, like, I guess the thing about this movie is, we'll go to the spoiler zone, because I think we need to talk about what is is actually happening in order to understand what they're trying to do, and you only find out in the last 20 minutes. I'll just say, kind of before we get there, I'm not entirely sure what this film is trying to say. It's just trying to say anything. I think while we were watching it, you compared it to Straw Dogs, um, yeah. which I've seen uh, the Malayalam remake of Straw Dogs. It's pretty good. Is it better than this? Yeah. 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 Um, the Hot Basil's in it. It's really good. Mm. Um, I apologize that I don't remember the you know, the tip of my tongue, but if you search Malayalam Straw Dogs, you'll find it. Um, but I do agree with you that like this has kind of like Peckinpah elements at times. Um, Sam Peckinpah's the director yeah. of Straw Dogs. Torture porn. But, yeah, but then it also kind of, yeah, it almost has, like, torture porn elements. It it was hard, and I can handle hard movies. I can handle mm-hmm. rough movies. I'm it used a, to literally be your job. I'm a fan of Gaspar Noe films. Like, yeah. But I need it to mean something. I need it, you know, this is part of my, the same complaints I had with Mirza for is, I need it to mean something. If you don't care about anyone involved, then it has this weightless. Yeah, and I just, like, I just really struggled with why why I was watching the things I was watching. Yeah. Um, I can't get a handle on Harsh Kapoor as an actor. I've seen all of his films. So, like, from Mir Zapoor, 
gotten your support from Mircea. Yeah. Um, to he would fit right in in Mir's support, though. <laughs> to Babesh Joshi, uh, AK versus AK, and now this. Um, I he's guess I he's see batting like, 500, though. Like, two of his movies, really good. The yeah. other two, miserable. <laughs> the, the other miserable one being Mirzia? Yeah. Mirzia, that's what it's called? I think it's, yeah, it's Mirzia. Yeah. But, like, okay, here's the problem with the movie. You I ready? Amazing dancing in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> So this movie looks amazing. Yeah. It may just be our new TV. Did I mention we got a new TV? Um, and Netflix, like, actually giving some bandwidth to this. But this is another one where, like, the places they shot this are so cinematic. Big yeah. deserts and sort of, like, one-horse towns and old ruins. Like, it looks really cool. And it's well-acted. Like, Anil Kapoor is, like, you know, this grizzled old cop. Yeah. He's got all that salt in his hair, that salt and pepper in his hair. He looks amazing. He's got these earrings on. Like he's wants one last adventure too, because he's been in this nowhere town. Yeah, never has anything cool to deal with, and then something something comes up. I would watch more movies with him as this character. Yeah, his character then, like, was interesting. His son's character not interesting. And then like, but I don't think Harsh is giving a bad performance. He's doing exactly what he was told to. Yes. And the problem is, here's the problem. Okay, so I think he's trying to emulate the man with no name okay. who does not talk very much or something like, something um, like yes, or uh, the one where High Plains Drifter, mm-hmm. where oh, like, but like a weird psycho comes to town and just starts f***ing with people and you're kind of still interested because it's Clint Eastwood and he's very charming, even if he's a complete psycho. Mm-hmm. But Harsh Kapoor, he maybe has 50 lines in the whole movie and like... He's so, he's super intense and he's doing all this stuff, but you have no idea who this guy is, why he's doing this, who these other guys are. Like, you piece it together. And then there's a reveal 20 minutes before the end of the movie that explains everything. And I just thought, like, this movie's just structured wrong. Yeah. Because I don't care about anything that's happening. And then by the time at which I know everything I should, it's over. Yeah. And, I, like, all the Neil Kapoor parts, great. But, like, Harsh was given a character that is kind of... It needs more explanation for me to care at all why he's on screen. And the film, like, the film walks and talks like it's a good movie. Yeah. Like, you feel like you're watching something good, but I just don't think it amounts to anything. It's nihilistic. It amounts to nothing. I usually like nihilism in film, but... But, like, you mentioned Gaspar Noé, and, like, Gaspar Noé's violence, like, okay, so it's backwards in... in, uh, um, Irreversible. Irreversible. But... That's why it's called Irreversible. Yeah. So the... Well, okay, the main... Like, the the Vincent Cassel killing a guy, it's super violent, and it's at the beginning of the movie, and you're kind of like, oh, what's going on? But then it explains what happens, and you get to the other violent part of the movie, and you're just like, I kind of understand why he did that, and I kind of agree, even though he killed the wrong guy. And then you get to some really transcendent and beautiful, lovely moments. I think that's part of why that film works. Yeah. Think of the idea of heroic bloodshed, right? We just watched Triple R again. If you had Ray Stevenson's character get killed at the, like, without any explanation as to why he's such a bad guy and all these, like, speeches that he does about how he's an at, like, how the bullet's not worth a Indian life, like, you have to, like, build up to why we hate this guy. Then it's cathartic. We don't know anything about these people. He, we're just, he, they're just getting tortured by this guy. And, like, sure, it seems very hardcore and all, but, like, there's no reason for us to be emotionally involved whatsoever 
Gaspar Noé, for some of his faults, does get you very emotionally involved in his films, even if they're just sort of nihilistic in the end. Like, you still kind of see where people are coming from. Mm-hmm. This, I had no idea until the end, and then I didn't care. All right. We it was to, just structured wrong. We should go to spoilers now, but before we do, as soon as you said hardcore, I resisted the urge to interrupt you and say, you're not hardcore unless you look hardcore. And thinking about hardcore, someone who does this sort of character really well... Is Paul Schrader. I was like, are you going to Schrader? <clears throat> yeah, because, like, think of the card counter. Yeah. Another guy who maybe has 50 lines and also does some pretty heinous stuff. Mm-hmm. But, like, he writes in his journal, and you understand sort of what happened to this guy to make him like this. Yeah. And this movie's just told out of order. Sleeper. Yeah. Okay, spoilers on. Okay. So the reason why it's related by bringing up Irreversible is not totally out of left field. And Straw Dogs. And Straw Dogs um, is because this is a rape revenge film. Yeah. Rape, murder, revenge. And it's not even the person who was rape murdered who gets the revenge. It's her husband who just walks in later. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like they have his address and they were stealing all of his stuff. But she just walks in accidentally. And then these animals, these monsters, like the newspaper says... They just pounce on her. And this is also just sort of, like, bleak for no reason. Yeah. Like, you see her... All you see of this character is a, ten seconds of her walking in her house, and then she gets murdered... Well, she gets raped and murdered. Like, mm-hmm. it's a completely... I hesitate to say, but disposable character. Mm-hmm. You know nothing about her. Yeah, I don't think you know her name. We... I believe we know uh, Harshford on Kapoor's name. He says he's Siddharth. It might just be a fake name. But, like, again, even in the canon of these sorts of movies where the hero's wife gets raped and he goes on a roaring rampage of revenge, it's done in such a way where you understand. Whereas this, I didn't care. It just, it all felt too ugly and brutal to have a point. I have talked about rape revenge cinema on this podcast before, and I just don't know if I have the energy for another conversation about it. It can be kind of cathartic because it it's based on killing the guy who did it. It can, and I will say that um, the scene of sexual assault here is not as graphic as it could be. It's definitely mild in the canon of these sorts of movies, but for a Bollywood movie, but I think I think it does. I think I don't know. I think it goes a bit too far. I I, I think by the time I get to it, you get to it. I just felt so empty, and I was just like continuing on with this hoping that there would be a aha moment that justified everything and this just continued to make me feel sad and dirty or a scene of harsh and his wife in the same room together because i don't think they're ever in the same shot so then you're just like okay i have no connection between these people and he's obviously mad that his wife got killed, but like we don't even see them together, and we don't even see their relationship. And it's it edited out a bunch of the things that make these movies work. I think the reveal of the sexual assaults um, later on—I mean, it's been done well in many other films. So I don't know if it's entirely the structure. I just I don't know what this film is trying to say, and so I just couldn't. I don't know. I just, I 
couldn't find any meaning in it and I just felt like this is the reveal for shock, for shock value. Yeah. If there's some larger political or um, like if there's a larger commentary here, a larger ideology, something I'm missing, commentary on Indian politics or identity or gender other than the often critique that men are terrible to women. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, they, they stole so a bunch I'm, of his stuff and they used it to buy opium and then they bought land using that. Like, yeah, maybe and that's I, where the Pakistani opium gang comes in and it's like, oh, okay, that's Anil Kapoor's story though. He's got to deal with yeah. them. I'm just saying maybe I'm missing the point. Maybe, but I don't think there's a point. I don't no, know. And I, I don't think I'm someone who inherently hates the rape revenge genre. We've talked about rape revenge films on the podcast before and I've had, you know, Mom was interesting. Mm-hmm. And age 10, I think, fits into the genre, which is interesting. Um, I mean, it's it, it does some things with the genre, but I think you can say, like, yeah. it's in conversation with the genre. I love it. And age 10. Um, yeah. It's a plot point in a lot of Indian movies. Yeah. And usually, like, it's supposed to inflame the senses. And you're like, I, I want to see those guys get killed. But when you do it at the end and you have literally no idea why he's doing this. It's just so... This film just felt cruel, and maybe that was the point. Could maybe, be, maybe, yeah. It could be we're maybe, reading it exactly as they wanted, but it, it just sucked, though. Maybe the cruelty is the point. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah. Spoiler zone over. The Neil Kapoor parts were kind of fun. The rest of it sucked. Yeah, I'd, I'd actually be interested in more from Neil Kapoor's character, but that's about that's my only... And it looked great. I don't have much else to say about this film. Yeah, whoever the cinematographer was, I'd watch another movie by them. So, hate to end this all on such a downer. It's only a downer if you listen to the spoiler zone, though. But uh, such is life sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the end of this episode. Ta-da. <laughs> We've discussed uh, a couple of, of great movies and um, one shitty one. Well, I don't know. Like I, I can see other people liking it, so you know, if if you have a take on why it's good, let us know. I'm probably not going to listen though. <laughs> All right, we will be back in two weeks, and what will we be doing then, Matt? What a year it's been. <laughs> um, I'm going to disagree with you. I think that the fields have been extremely fallow for new films. Okay. Uh, Gangubai and Garayan accepting. Like, we're going to be watching the first half of the year's worth of stuff. Yes. And really, like, there's been some high-profile failures that have come out. Sure. Uh, but, like, not a lot of... Triple uh, R really took the wind out of the entire Hanimi Cinema's sales. Like, sure. it's definitely changed the game, and no one really wants to talk about Hindi movies, but we're going to do it anyway. Do you want to yeah, save all this for the episode? No. Okay. I'm going to leave it all on the table. Um, yes, yeah, so it is our 2022 mid-year review episode. We will be uh, discussing um, probably about 10 new releases that have come out so far this year, the highs and the lows. Um we are going to only discuss one Akshay Kumar film. We're going to limit ourselves to one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's such a buffet. I don't even know if like Prithviraj is even available yet. Yeah. So. That's fine. 
Um, so that that will be out in two weeks. In the and and please let us know if there's some movies that you would like our take on that you would like us to prioritize that we can get a hold of. That we can get a hold of. We will do our best to watch it over the next two weeks so we can discuss it in that episode. It does seem like things have been flipping pretty quickly. Yeah. Like Attack is available. Yeah. And that was just like two weeks ago. In the meantime, Matt, how can people get on with the show? At Bollywood Pod, at Matt underscore B O W E S, at Aaron E. Fraser, uh, Facebook.com slash Bollywood for Lovers, Tumblr.com slash Bollywood for Lovers, rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. And, and if you're a fan of this show, please subscribe to my other show that I do with Paul Matwichuk called Trash Art and the Movies. We just put out an episode about Curtis Hansen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he never made a western, but I would have He would have done well, I He would have done an amazing western. He's good at the classic genres. Yeah. So and you're doing an episode on Darkman. Yeah. Well, that's coming up. But uh, the most recent one was on Curtis Hansen. We discussed Wonder Boys and In Her Shoes. We one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. And in then also In Her Shoes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, In Her Shoes is great. They're both great. Uh, I, I think about Wonder Boys, though. Uh, we also want to thank Becca Delkey for our artwork. Tuffy continues to be our best boy and our favorite if Tuffy became a rebel I would follow him 